1: Today is Christmas Day. It's all about gifts in a lot of people's hearts and minds. That's the emphasis. And so I thought it would be appropriate if I talk about gifts from a biblical perspective. But most importantly, I'm going to share with you how every born-again, blood-washed child of the Almighty God is actually a gift for the Lord. That's found in several obscure passages of Scripture, and yet it's very provable and very powerful that you are called to be a gift for the Lord. I know that all of us are quite familiar with the Scriptures that talk about God's gifts to us, but we are also called to be a gift to Him. When my wife and I were married back in 1989, she was a gift to me, and hopefully I was a gift to her, and we brought each other to completion in our union, and fruit has been born of that union because we had that mindset that one didn't exist just to serve the other. Both of us existed to serve each other and to be a gift to each other, and that overflows into a spiritual connotation as well. But first, before I take you to those mysterious and obscure passages of Scripture, let's start out by talking about God's gifts to us. James 1.17 is a great starting point. That verse, one of my favorites, says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Well, he's the father of lights in the sense of creating the sun, creating the moon, creating the stars in the sky in a universal cosmic sense. He's the father of lights, but also in this very dark world, God creates light, the light of his word, the light of his spirit draws us out of darkness into a personal relationship with him, and then he turns us from being children of darkness to becoming children of light. And in that sense, on a supernatural level, he is the father of lights. Every good gift comes from him. Every perfect gift comes from above, and it transforms us from people who are overwhelmed by darkness to people who are emanators of the light of truth. Thank God for the process of gift giving and gift receiving that transforms us inwardly. And then I can't talk about this subject without going to that wonderful chapter, chapter four in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is having his conversation with the woman at the well this unnamed woman that changed a city and has impacted the entire world because she reacted to the truth he shared with enthusiasm listen to what happened jesus first asked her give me to drink so she had to sow in order to reap she had to give him to drink so that he could give her to drink and and she was surprised. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, would ask, drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? And then Jesus responded, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, there's two very rich things I need to share out of that verse. First of all, God wants you to gift him in such a way that you quench his thirst. What is God thirsty for? He's thirsty for fellowship. He's thirsty for communion. He's thirsty for connection with the fallen sons and daughters of Adam. He wants to be in a rapturous, intimate, close, and fruitful relationship with every one of his children. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me to drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, what is this living water? Well, natural water is made up of two elements, hydrogen and oxygen. Uh, The molecular structure of it is H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Well, the parallel between the natural and the spiritual is very evident. There are two aspects to living water, and I call it word to spirit. Two parts word, Old Testament and New Testament, and one part spirit, the same spirit inspiring both. And when you mix the word and the spirit, just like when you mix hydrogen and oxygen, you get a liquid that is a staple of life. When you mix the word and the spirit, you get a spiritual staple that is necessary for survival in this world. And it is the gift of God. Thank God for living water. And once it flows into you, then it begins to flow out of you because Jesus went on to say in verse 14 of the same chapter, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life part of the gift of god is not only satisfying your thirst for truth not only satisfying your thirst for connection with god and comprehension of god but then once the water flows into you it changes its circuit and begins to flow out of you an everlasting fountain of truth to satisfy the thirst of others for understanding life, for healing emotionally and mentally and spiritually, you become a means of that water being gifted into other people's lives, which is truly the greatest gift of all, to be able to give. Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and so being a gift receiver is wonderful, but being a gift giver is really wonderful. And the empowerment of God leads us that direction. John 3.16 is one of the most beloved passages of the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to see the connection between loving and giving. That's how the kingdom of God functions, because if you're filled with the nature of God, you cannot love without giving. God so loved the world that he gave. Loving and giving go together just like living and breathing. You can't love without giving in the kingdom of God, and you can't live without breathing in the natural world. And so these things are inseparable. We must become giving people. We must find ways to give to others in substantial ways, in meaningful ways, in helpful ways, in miraculous ways, be used of God to work miracles in people's lives. You may not think it's a miracle, but their eyes will open wide with appreciation when you do something under the leadership of God that miraculously changes a situation in their lives. Let's go to a powerful passage of scripture, Psalm 68, verse 18. This is a prophecy of the very last happening in the life of Jesus in this world. I'm going to quote the King James Version because I like the way it's worded. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Wow, what a powerful passage of scripture. And of course, it's a reference to the ascension, how Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives. He gave his final exhortation to his disciples, and then he was received up into the clouds out of their sight. Thou hast ascended on high. And then the next line says, thou hast led captivity captive. And so everything that could potentially captivate you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or even physically in this world, he has led captive. He has placed it under his authority so that you can be delivered by his power. Now listen to the next line. Thou hast received gifts for men. Normally, when a great liberator sets a people free, that liberator is showered with gifts himself or herself. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus liberated us and then he showered us with gifts. It was his great joy to set us free. And it was his great joy to pour out gifts on us that he was legally able to pour out because of what happened on Calvary. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. So the Father poured certain giftings into him that he was then able to pour into our lives. And then the next part is so amazing. It says, yea, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. Well, I fit into that category many, many years ago, back in 1969, 1970. I was living a life of rebellion for a season against God's mandates. But if I had gotten what I justly deserved, I would not have received the wonderful revelation that led me to the cross and led me to the open tomb. Thank God, these gifts that Jesus procured through his walk in this world are also available for the bad, not only the good, they're available for the wicked, not only the righteous, if they repent before him. And yet, you're about to see that one of the first gifts he gives you is the ability to repent. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. That passage says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth." This is just one of many scriptures that reveal that repentance itself is a gift. Jesus said, "'No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him.'" And the way God draws us to the Son of God is by smiting our hearts with conviction, gripping our souls with remorse over sin he said when the comforter has come, he will reprove the world of sin. And so the Holy Spirit comes to awaken us to a repentant attitude, and that in itself is a gift from God. I think it's very interesting to see that in the Old Testament, the word that is translated repent is also translated comfort because once you repent, the comfort of God comes to you, and the next gift is deposited in you, the gift that Jesus revealed in John chapter 14, verse 27. He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And he said that during the same conversation where he revealed to the disciples that they would flee from the dangerous situation it was about to erupt. They were going to turn their backs on him. They were going to even deny that they knew him. And yet Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. He overlooked their weakness. He overlooked their fear. And he told them, not as the world gives, give I unto you my peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you don't just have a soulish kind of peace that any human being can experience. You have experienced the peace of God that passes understanding. And if God, who is omniscient, who knows all the disappointing, heartbreaking, grievous things happening throughout this world in a human race that is made up of billions of people, and so much negativity is going on all around the globe, and yet God still has peace. If he can have peace knowing everything, you can have peace in your world, even though it may be filled with strife and disappointment and heartache and pain and betrayal or whatever you may be facing. God's peace can still be yours. It's a gift, and a gift is not something you earn. A gift is something you reach out and receive. Not only has he given you his peace in John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Yes, this world is a depressing place. But if Jesus, the son of God, who was aware of every depressing thing happening throughout the entire populace of the globe. If he can have joy, you can have joy, and you can exhibit that joy as a testimony to others, that in a very depressing world, you can experience a heavenly kind of joy that is a foretaste of glory divine. Several gifts that God has given you are revealed in John chapter 17. That chapter is the great intercessory prayer of the Lord Jesus over the church to come. He said in that prayer, Father, I pray not only for these, but for all those that will believe on me through their word. And listen to how he states these declarations in the past tense. He says concerning people who are yet to be born, who will believe in him and trust in him and receive him. In the past tense, he says, I have given to them the words which you've given me, Father, and they have received them. And so the gift of God is the word that Jesus declared when he walked on this planet. And then in verse 22, he said, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. And so he gifts us with his glory, which is the manifest presence of God and the perfection of the character of God. And then he gifts us with the oneness with the Father that he enjoyed. How amazing is that? And he said, Father, that the love with which you love me may be in them. He gifts us with the love of the Father deposited in our hearts. And he prayed those gifts into our lives. The next scripture I want to share with you is Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does the word it refer back to? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's a reference back to faith. You and I could boast that I believed in Jesus and so God saved me, but the very faith you had to trust in his death on Calvary to save you from your sins was itself a gift of God to begin with. In Hebrews chapter 12, it states that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He authored in you the power to believe, the capacity to believe, so that you could then receive (laughs) all the glory needs to go to him. There is nothing that we have done to earn his gifts. It's all because of his kindness toward us. And then Ephesians chapter four, verse seven says, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So the gift of Christ, the gift of the anointed one, which is what Christ means, the gift of the Messiah, is an outpouring of grace in our lives. And grace is really two primary things. It's the unmerited love of God and it's divine empowerment. See, God pours out his love in your life, even if you don't merit that love. But in the process, he empowers you to be what he's called you to be. And because of that outpoured grace, the Bible says sin shall no longer have dominion over you because God will either give you grace to recover from sin, or God will give you grace to live above sin. But one way or the other, grace will abound towards you where sin abounds. Grace does much more abound if you humble yourself, if you believe, and if you sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the three requirements. And then grace like a river pours into your life, and there's nothing in this world that is strong enough to conquer the grace of God that is deposited within you. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Thank God for that gift. Next, one of the most amazing gifts that I could share with you is found in Romans 5, 17. That verse says, if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. The moment you were saved, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ. You were cleansed by the blood of Jesus so that from heaven's perspective, you appear just as holy, just as righteous as Jesus, the firstborn son. That's impossible for man to achieve on his own. But that is a miracle of compassion from the Heavenly Father, that he would give you the gift of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God fills you with his own righteousness so that you can reign in life. No wonder no weapon formed against you shall prosper God explained the reason for that promise in Isaiah 54 by saying their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. That's why no weapon formed against you can prosper, because you're not depending on your own goodness. You're depending on the goodness and the righteousness and the holiness of God that come as gifts into your life. Next, Acts 2.38, Peter said to the crowd of people after his Pentecost sermon, Repent, And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a gift that is to have the indwelling of the presence of God. Now, initially, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. But then when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you receive an endowment with power that distributes certain supernatural giftings into your life. And if you'll read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are nine gifts of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit divides severally as he wills, including gifts like the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, gift of miracles, the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues. God gives nine gifts of the Spirit that come with the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. How amazing is that? Praise God, we need to pray that those gifts will be stirred up in our life because the only hope for this generation is an empowered army of believers who are gifted by God to bring change to our generation. And God has certain gifts that he wants manifested in your life. Now, the gift of all gifts is found in Romans six twenty-three that declares the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you can't find another scripture that should cause praise to erupt in your heart any more than that scripture. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Back in 1970, when I was a yoga teacher at four universities and running a yoga ashram, I taught people that you might have to be reincarnated several times as a devoted yogi or yogini in order to live a totally disciplined life and earn release from the cycle of rebirth or reincarnation. I had a salvation by works mentality, and yet I was completely wrong. There's only one life. And during that life, it's totally necessary for you to find the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he brings the gift of eternal life to you, where you can live forever as a son or a daughter of God. Praise God for that. Now, you may say, well, I thought you said that we were a gift for the Lord. Yes, I'm going to get to those scriptures now, and I'm about to end. John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus is in the middle of a tremendous sermon that talks about the living bread that came down from heaven. And he says, "'This is the will of the Father who sent me, "'that of all he has given me, "'I should lose nothing, "'but should raise it up at the last day.'" So you are the gift of the Father to the Son. Yes, he went through horrendous suffering on Calvary, but you were the gift he received as the result of his pain. His eternal bride, married to the sons and daughters of God forever. What an amazing gift the father gave the son because of his anguish on the cross and his great victory over death and over hell and the grave. Praise God. But there's another scripture I want to bring out, and that's Numbers chapter 18, verse 6 and this has got a New Testament application in Revelation to it. God says he's taken the Levites from among the children of Israel as a gift for the Lord. Well, the Levitical tribe was the tribe that was consecrated into the priesthood. The chief priests were the offspring of Aaron. And later on, the family line of Samuel functioned in that role but all of the Levites had a priestly capacity and they served the tabernacle. They took care of the tabernacle. They were there to minister to God. And then out of that relationship with God came forth ministry to the people. And you had to be of the Levitical tribe, which itself has a revelation because the word Levite means joined, and the insight there is that they were joined to God in a special priestly covenant. Well, in the New Testament, we all inherit a Levitical status because we are a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5, and we are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9, and we have all been joined to God in a priestly covenant. We serve God, we minister to God in worship and thanksgiving and praise and adoration every day. But then out of that adoration of the creator of the universe and that communion we enjoy flows an anointed ministry to others who need what we have to share. So we become first a gift to God, and out of that connection, we become a gift to others. I pray that happens for you in a more profound sense than ever before in 2021. This world needs gifted people who will become a gift to others. Someone had a dream about me many years ago, and I don't receive every dream that every person says they have about me, but I knew this woman's walk with God, and I knew this dream came from God. She saw me standing on a pulpit, shining brightly with the joy of the Lord, radiating the anointing, and she heard the voice of God speak to me, and it was a double statement. God said two things at once, and one statement overlapped the other. He said, be true to the gift God gave you, but simultaneously, God said, be true to the gift God made you. So in other words, the gift God gives you is the gift you can give to others. Be true to the gift God gave you, and be true to the gift God made you. If God gives you a gift of peace, you become a gift of peace to others. If God gives you a gift of joy, you become a gift of joy to others. If God gives you the gift of wisdom like he did Solomon, then you become a gift of wisdom to others. Whatever gift God pours into you becomes a well of water springing out of you to bring gifting into other people's lives. I pray that, Father, I pray right now, that you will pour into every person who is listening to this podcast gifts that they've never experienced before. And then not only will you cause them to receive these divinely authored gifts, but you will cause them to become a vessel of those gifts to others who are in need. Let it be so in Jesus' name.